And this teaching should come with a warning label. And what I mean by that is, if you listen to this teaching, the story of Jonah from the Bible, you will come out differently than you went in. Now, if you don't want that, don't listen. But uh, this story may be the most useful story in the Bible. I'm not saying the best story, the greatest story, the most important to Jesus story, although Jesus does mention this story. But definitely the most useful. Day by day, we all fight the fight of Jonah. So we're in a sermon series today, Below the Waterline, The Deeper Story of You. And 95% of what's going on in your brain right now is not your conscious mind. Our souls are deep. It, uh, we're way bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. And that being the case, faith and spirituality have to do with that part of us that's under the waterline. Every iceberg, 95% of it, is below the waterline. It's the same with you and me. And we need to let things touch us, much like when Jess was playing just now. Music touches that part of us below the waterline, as does poetry, as does art, as does all of those other things that are not as cognitive as just thinking. So this teaching is about that part of you that is below the waterline, and Psalm 42 talks about deep calling unto deep, and there's a depth to the Bible, especially the older stories of the Bible, that's below the waterline, and that depth of God's Word calls out to the depth of you, and that's what we're trying to connect in this sermon series, the deeper parts of you and the deeper parts of the Bible. And often we look at these Old Testament stories as just kid stories. We're going to talk about Jonah and the great fish, the dog gadol in Hebrew, the great fish. You can call it a whale if you want. But basically, if you look this up on YouTube, it's all kids' cartoons. When this is really a story about adult productivity, procrastination, and the inability to control your emotions. So it's just, it's going to touch that part of you. Like I say, it should come with a warning label because this story, what's below the waterline in this story, will affect what's below the waterline in your story. So, what if I were to tell you, in matrix terms, that you could double your productivity and joy with exactly the same effort as you're putting into life right now? And that's what the story of Jonah is all about. Jonah is about being more effective because Jonah is not very effective. And we're going to find out why he's not effective. And at the end of the story, there's no conclusion. So you turn your Bibles to the book of the prophet Jonah. It's open-ended. At the very end of the story, it's up to you, the reader, whether you're going to be like Jonah or not. And so there's this incredible life advice in this story. And it's all about procrastination. And you might think procrastination is pretty harmless. We all do it. We all avoid filing our taxes. We all avoid making that confrontational phone call. We all avoid certain things. We all avoid getting at that email that keeps piling up. We all avoid things. So what's the harm in it? Well, the truth is, if you do the math, Psychologists tell us, and they've done studies on this, that most people waste. I'm not talking about recreation here. Recreation is not waste. Most people waste about six hours a day. Now, if your worth is, let's say, $25 an hour, that's $50,000 a year. That's a quarter of a million dollars in five years that you've wasted. And I'm not talking about just financial waste. Uh, worth, uh, time is worth something, even if you're making no money at all. 
doing something productive with that time, in five years, you can be a whole different person. They tell us that we lose about fifty dollars to $150,000 a year in productivity with wasted time. And most of that waste has to do with procrastination. And procrastination is exactly what uh, Jonah is a PhD in. Now, people have argued about Jonah. And you can tell whether a person believes in the inerrancy of the Bible by whether or not you believe that Jonah was swallowed by the dog gadol in Hebrew, the great fish, the whale. Some people say, well, that's just a story, so obviously this isn't true, and much of the Bible is dotted. Folks, this is the truest story in the Bible. This gets right at your daily life and your decisions, and the fact that we're all losing a lot of value every year to procrastination, putting things off. So let's look at the story. Jonah 1.1. Now, Jonah is the hardest book in the Bible to find because it's toward the end of the Old Testament, and it's two pages and four chapters, and it goes quick. You can read it in no time. So let's start it out. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked the people are. Nineveh was known for corruption. And every culture leans towards corruption if it's not corrected. What do I mean by that? Lord Acton, one of the great English thinkers of the last, uh, actually two centuries ago now, Lord Acton said, power corrupts and unlimited power corrupts in an unlimited way, completely. And anytime someone has power, even a little thing, head of a school board or whatever, you start to use that to your advantage. And virtually everyone in power is guilty of some corruption, but corruption can start to take off after a while. Corruption starts to just roll, and in some cultures, like right now in Eastern Europe and some other places, corruption is just, it takes away people's will to work. Why should I work in a corrupt society? Because people are just going to take it from me anyways. And if you've ever done a mission trip to, to the global south, you realize how much corruption is there. My wife had to, to pay a bribe when she was a teenager to get a car license in Southeast Asia, and there's no other way to get one. Well, when that starts to take off, corruption starts to take on a life of its own. And God told Jonah to confront the corruption. Now, how many of you love to confront people? Nobody looks forward to confrontation unless you're psychotically evil or something. You just look forward to, uh, you look forward to conference. I can't wait to yell at this person. And Jonah gets asked by God, to confront Nineveh on their corruption. Now he's thinking, who wants to hear that? Who wants to be criticized? Cultures don't want to be criticized, let alone individuals, and it's not going to go well, and they're not going to like me. This is going to be a really, really bad thing. So when facing a negative assignment or something we're supposed to do or we know we have to do is one of those things we want to procrastinate. Jonah was facing a negative assignment. God came to him and said, get thee to Nineveh and uh, tell them that they're corrupt. When facing a negative assignment, there's a lot of choices, but there's two we're going to deal with today. One, run, procrastinate, or freeze. Run away, procrastinate, or freeze. Put it off. Put it off. Or two, face it and do it. 
we all know from the story which one Jonah did. Here's a picture of Jonah running away to Tarshish. And we don't know where Tarshish was, but we know it's a long ways away. It's the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. He gets in a boat, heads west. Nineveh is east. He goes west to get away from his assignment. Now, many of you have told me, many of you, and you know who you are because it's most of you. I wish God would just be more clear with me and talk to me more clearly about what he wants. Truth is, most of us don't really want to hear what God wants from us because it might be something that's unpleasant. It might be confronting Nineveh with corruption. It might be doing all kinds of things that we don't really want to do. So we just kind of put the me, 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 me thing on so we don't hear from God. We run. We were talking this morning about how our car radios come on just out of nowhere. And we love to have music all the time or sound or something because we want to be distracted from that still small voice that the Lord has where he calls us to do things. So many people ask me, why don't I hear from God? And I say, unplug your ears. Unplug your ears because God's got more talk than we've got. Listen, so Jonah says, I'm going to flee. I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to put this off. God might get his way, but not yet. I'm heading west. Even though I'm supposed to go east, I'm not going to do what he asked me to do. Here's the problem. The longer we procrastinate, the heavier the seas. You procrastinate paying off that credit card. It starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Procrastinate your taxes and eventually you'll be in jail. You, you, you put things off and I put things off and it creates rough seas in our life. And if you've ever been out in the water, Alan sitting back here and I were talking about the heavy waves at, uh, at uh, Huntington sometimes when you're surfing. And waves 6 to 12 feet high are terrifying. It's like a, a sideways freight train coming at you. But if you've ever been in really heavy seas, 50 to 60 foot waves, which you see sometimes, you can look it up on YouTube where these boats are going through the heavy waves and it is no fun. But the truth is the more we procrastinate the stuff we have to do in life, the heavier the seas. People complain, oh, my life is nothing but heavy seas. I'm saying, what are you procrastinating? What are you putting off? Because the weather starts getting rough, as they said in Gilligan's Island. And down he goes into the water and he is face-to-face -face with Dag Gadol, the great fish, the whale. In a way, this fish, this whale, is a symbol for hell. We've often talked about the fact that heaven starts now and we enjoy it later with the Lord. Well, that's true. Guess what else can start now? Hell. You've got people you know who are, their lives are hell. And Hell starts now and can go on forever. Hell is very real. And uh, he gets swallowed by this predator fish. And into the belly of the beast he goes. Because if we put things off long enough, it will get us. Put that diet off long enough and you'll end up with diabetes. Put off that exercise long enough and sure enough, we're going to have some real problems. Put off that hard conversation with someone. And you know what? It will mature. It's, it's, it's like a U.S. savings bond. They just get bigger while you're, while you're sitting there. Our problems get bigger if we procrastinate. And the seas get heavy, and we can end up in a life which is eating us, literally eating us alive. And that's exactly what happened to Jonah. You see why this story is about us? It's not just about some, some fishtail. This is what happens to people when they put things off. So 
let's understand procrastination. There have been two landmark studies in the last year on procrastination, and you can look them up on YouTube. And we were wrong about what causes it. The two things we often think is it has to do with time management. If we were just better at time management, then somehow we wouldn't procrastinate. Almost every university has a page on their website that helps students with procrastination and time management. And there's usually two columns. One says procrastination, the other one says time management. If you just got your time management right and learned what you have to do every day to keep up with your assignments, you'd make it. But the truth is, it's not true. It isn't a matter of time management. There's people really good at time management who procrastinate like crazy. And it's also not about the thing itself. Well, doing taxes is terrible. Uh, filing my taxes is terrible, so I'm going to put that off. No, it's not about the task itself either. It's about one thing. And that one thing is your emotional response to things. Let me talk to you about that in, in detail because this is the most important part of the talk. It's not about time management. It's not about discipline. There's a lot of very disciplined people who procrastinate a lot. It's not about the thing itself. We've mentioned that. It's a depth emotional issue, and it's easy to fix. Let me say that again. It's a depth emotional issue, and it's very easy to fix if you understand the root of it. Here's the problem. You are programmed to survive, and praise God for that. You have a survival instinct. If nothing else, under stress, the first thing that pops into your mind is, I need to survive. If you are hiking in the forest at night and you hear a sound, your whole body is going to come alive and you're going to think, is there a predator out there? How do I survive? How do I make it through this? Here's the problem. Your survival instinct is so strong that it trumps your thriving instinct. Jessica talked about that, that we would thrive and not just survive. But survival emotionally trumps thriving. And to thrive, we have to overcome procrastination. And if we overcome procrastination with the same amount of energy, we can double our productivity and joy without even working harder. But we have to overcome the emotional hiccup that gets in the way. Here's the problem. You don't procrastinate because you don't like that thing. You procrastinate because of the emotions you attach to it. And if those are negative emotions, you will put it off. Let me show you one of the studies. There have been two studies. This is one of the studies that has been done recently about the foot-long plank. People are asked to walk... 18 feet down a one-foot-wide plank on the ground. Nobody hesitates. Everyone does it. Then they're asked, if this was put between two towers 300 feet up in the air, would you cross between these two things? And most people say no, even though it's the same plank. What's the difference? Your emotional reaction to the plank. The plank is the same. The plank is exactly the same. We attach emotions to the things we're supposed to do and those emotions trigger the survival instinct, which tells us put that off because that could be bad. And next thing you know, we have a whole bunch of things out there we're supposed to be doing that we have packaged with emotional wrapping 
that says bad stuff, bad stuff, bad stuff, and your survival instinct says conserve energy, you could be in trouble. So you go take a nap. So you relax. You watch watch YouTube videos, look at Instagram too much. Some people get really connected with porn. All the different things that people do, or you you binge watch The Simpsons or something. I mean, we do anything we can do to get away from that feeling and to conserve energy and to stay in bed and not to move because your survival instinct is telling you that emotional thing out there, you've wrapped it in a bad emotion. You've wrapped that, that board in this fear. And you don't want to do this because it could be bad. There's an emotional root. And here's the other emotional root right here. This was the other study that was done. A glass of ketchup and soy sauce was put together. And the test subjects were asked. They give a little taste of it. It tastes terrible, by the way. How much of this do you think you could eat right now? And the average, the average answer was, if you really had to, two tablespoons. Then they were asked, how much of this would you be able to consume two weeks from now? And the average answer was half a glass. The problem is we dissociate our future self from our present self. And this happens in The Simpsons. Whenever future Homer... (laughs) Whenever Homer is doing something that's going to cause him problems in the future, he always says the same thing. That's a problem for future Homer. That's a problem for future Homer. That's something that he'll have to deal with. And the truth is we dissociate from that future you, that future me. And we say, well, we'll put it off because that person can handle it better than us. And so we shove our negative assignments off into the future. So these two studies, the plank, and the awful drink have shown us that it's our emotions that we attach to things, not the thing itself, because the board is always really just right on the ground. It's the emotions we attach to it, and it's also the tendency to dissociate ourselves from our future self. I'll just let my future self deal with that. Well, your future self, by the way, is you. Negative emotions. Got a picture here of a whole bunch of negative emotions. Now, I'm not anti-emotional. I get choked up during mushy movies. I get choked up when the flag comes down the street on the 4th of July parade. Uh, it It just happens from time to time. Emotions are good. Negative emotions are even good. It's good to express our emotions. But it's good not to hang on to them. Feel the emotion and let it go. Martin Luther, 500 years ago, was asked about negative emotions. And he said this. He says, uh, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head. A negative emotion, anger, uh, uh, fear, worry, those kind of things. Because we're going to feel worry and anger and all those things. He says, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. And very often we let these negative emotions create a nest in our hair, and it just turns into all kinds of problems. And Jonah is a story about a person who couldn't handle his emotions. Fear sent him west when he should have been going east because he attached fear to what the people in Nineveh would say. Was he right about what the people in Nineveh would say? No, he wasn't, because when he finally got there, they were open to it. It was his fear that kept him from going. It wasn't the task itself. It was the fear of how it would be played out. 
So he says, well, that's a task for future Jonah. And off he goes. That's going to taste terrible. I'm not going to do this. And at the end of the story, he gets swallowed by the great fish. God gives him a second chance. He goes back to Nineveh. And lo and behold, they listen. They turn around. And what happens to him? He gets angry. He gets really angry, and so God uh, allows a little uh, shade plant to grow, and then God allows it to die. And guess what? He gets angry again. And he's all angry about this and all angry about that, and then the story ends. He's a person who couldn't manage his emotions. Is it okay to get angry? Yeah, it is. Jesus got angry, but he didn't stay angry for a week. You let the emotion happen and then let it go. But emotions can keep us from doing the things that we have to do. They can keep us from our our greatest life. A lot of us are just surviving in life because we let survival trump thriving. A lot of us are just barely making it in life. I hear this all the time, just barely making it, just barely making it. Because they don't have a sense about where they want to go or what they want to do. And Jonah... Look at him here. He's really mad. He's all upset that the folks in Nineveh turned around. And then he's upset that the plant dies. He's a person who is ruled by his emotions. Now, you can have emotions, but you should rule your emotions and tell them where to go. We should never let those emotions run our lives. To be a fully human being, you have to let emotions happen. But once again, don't let them build a nest in your hair. Here's some practicalities. So what do we do about the fact that it's an emotional problem? that causes procrastination. Recognize the cost of unsupervised emotions. The cost is, as we mentioned earlier, $50,000, $200,000 a year, depending on how much your time is worth. We all waste about six hours a day. Now, please hear me. That's not recreation. Recreation is not wasting time. It's just waste time where we're avoiding doing things we're supposed to do. Hell can begin here. Hell doesn't just happen after we die. There's a lot of people living in misery and hell, and the, and the waves are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're about to be swallowed by the fish. Procrastination also ruins your ability to believe yourself and trust yourself, and you start to hate yourself. People who hate themselves very often are procrastinators. They promise themselves, tomorrow I'll do this, and they don't. And tomorrow I'll do this, and they don't. And they break trust with themselves. And when you break trust with yourself, you start to loathe yourself. And you start to loathe yourself, it gets, it's a cycle, and then you start procrastinating more. Do you see where this is an emotional issue? Procrastination is not about time management. It's not about any of those things. It's not about discipline. It's about getting at the roots of how emotions can run our lives and wreck our lives and send us to hell, and they do. So recognize the cost of unsupervised emotions, which is heavy, and a lot of us are paying that, paying that price on a daily basis. Do the math. What? Most of us are living half the life we're capable of, roughly, because most of us can work for about six hours a day, and we waste time for about six hours a day. And we could easily be productive during that time if we attached positive emotions to those tasks rather than negative emotions to those tasks. People who do that are really happy. Ever notice that? They put positive emotions around the things they have to do, and they just wrap everything they have to do in a positive emotion. My wife's really good at this. She gets a whole bunch of real menial stuff during the day by giving herself lots of little rewards along the way. And it works really, really well. 
do the math. Uh, a lot of us wish we had more in life. We wish we had more abundance, more joy, more all of these things. But what's keeping us from that is our emotions. Here's another one. You are your own boss, but you're also your own employee. Your boss self in the morning says, get this stuff done or else. You don't want your boss to be a tyrant. Ask yourself, especially if you're older, which of your bosses, your coaches, your teachers did you like the best? Try to be like that person with yourself. Some of you, that might be the strictest of your bosses because they brought the best out of you. Well, then be strict with yourself. Some of you, the most gracious of your bosses, then be gracious with yourself. You know what works for you, so be a good supervisor to yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Find a way to motivate yourself in such a way that you are your own best boss. Everybody's had a few dozen bosses, coaches, teachers, whatever. Ask yourself, which ones worked best for me? And it may not be the same as the people sitting next to you. Because we are all motivated differently. So be a good boss, but be a good employee. Be a good worker for yourself. Be conscientious. Do what uh, your good boss is asking of you. Because we have this conversation every day with ourselves, don't we? This, uh, the boss shows up and the employee shows up. What am I going to get done today? What am I going to finish today? I have my worst days when the tyrant shows up. Myself. You ever heard the phrase, you're, you're, you're too hard on yourself or you're your own worst enemy? Do I get more done on those days? No, I don't. I get more done when I attach emotional or positive emotions to the tasks that are in front of me. That's when I get stuff done. And I can get an awful lot of stuff done in that case. So be a good boss and employ with yourself. Don't be a tyrant. Don't be that awful boss that you hated that fired you. And you can't fire yourself anyways. Micro habits and macro goals. Over half of people, according to the same studies I'm talking about, have no major life goals. Why? Because if you keep it vague, then you don't sense that you're failing. If you keep things really vague, then you don't have a sense for, oh, I'm not doing it right. And that's very comfortable for some people. I'll just get through. I'll just survive. I'll just to stay alive. And, and it used to be two, three generations ago, physical hunger motivated people to work. For most of human history, physical hunger got people moving. We live in a country where all of us have too much food. The, the food supply, even for poor people, is massive in this country. And so we don't have that anymore. We have to find other ways to motivate ourselves. And we're wasting a whole lot more time than people did three generations ago. Macro goals. Have, do you want to form a family? Do you want to have financial abundance? Do you want to have spiritual growth? Do you want to be a part of something making the world a better place? Do you want those things, or are you just surviving? And can you define those things? One of the happiest people in the world right now is, is Elon Musk. Elon Musk has a macro goal. I'm going to put people on Mars, and we're going to start a civilization on Mars. And that drives everything he's doing because he thinks it's such a cool idea that everything along the way is working. He closed everything in that positive emotion. He gets more done than whole army's worth of people. Why? Because he's driven by a positive emotion, a goal, a clear goal. So having a macro goal, but micro habits, work on our micro habits, being a little bit better employee with yourself, doing things. And 
A good employee will wrap all of the tasks in the day in something positive, and so there's much less likelihood of procrastination. Emotional packaging of tasks is everything. People who are super productive aren't tyrants with themselves. They just wrap all of their tasks in the wrapping paper of positive emotions. And they don't let negative emotions run their lives. And they, they find a way to enjoy what they're doing, even if it is menial and hard. I'm going to invite uh, Tamara up here to uh, close us up here. But the last slide here is this. Partner with the Lord every day to choose thriving over survival, to thrive rather than to survive. And here's how I try to do it. This is what I've been doing for the whole last year. And this came out of our, our sermon series on psycho-cybernetics, which is a wonderful book based on the Bible from like a generation ago. But I put together this spiritual discipline well, about a year ago when we did this sermon series. And it has four parts. I focus on my eyes, and I tell myself, seeing, I'm made in the image of God. I have some of God's attributes. Then I focus on my breathing. The word spirit, ruach, pneuma, has to do with breath. And I try to breathe easier, like I do when I'm feeling really good. And I practice breathing, so there's ease in the breathing. And I tell myself, these tasks are going to be easy, and they're going to feel good. Then I focus on my heart. And I focus on shining my heart out because Jesus lives there. How can I be brighter and more positive emotionally? Because having Norwegian background, I tend towards kind of negative emotions sometimes. How can I, how can I project a more positive emotion out towards people? Then I focus on my gut, those four things, my eyes, my breath, my heart, and my gut. And my gut, I think, there's a lot of deep stuff, like my gut, that I've learned, that I've experienced, that I can use. And I'm going to draw on that wealth of knowledge and experience and make good things happen today. So what I do in my time with the Lord, I get into the Word, then I do that prayer thing I'm talking about, and I try to set my emotional temperature so I'm going to be clothing my tasks in positive wrapping paper. And if I do, guess what I don't do? I don't procrastinate. And I ask myself, how do I feel at the end of a really good day where I said, this was a great day? Those days aren't filled with waste. They might be filled with walking with Wendy around the trailer park, holding hands. That's not waste. That's, that's a beautiful use of time. But you look back at your day and you're happy about that day. And then other days you look back and you're really disappointed. I didn't get enough done today. What can I do to live into one of those good days? How can I be different? The book of Jonah is about you and it's about me. And from what you've just heard, I think you might just agree with me. It might be one of the truest books in the Bible. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the story of Jonah. There is so much depth in this story. We could do a sermon series for two months on Jonah. And Lord, uh, I just pray that we would learn to master our emotions, not to squelch them, but to master them. 
It's like uh, breaking a horse or taming a dog to, to master our emotions. And to master our emotions means to take care of them, not to squish them or, or squash them or get rid of them, but to be their master. And Lord, give us the spiritual discipline to set the tone for our day so that we look forward in the evening to looking back at a great day. What kind of days, what kind of micro habits bring that about? Lord, you put, you put the book of Jonah in the Bible as a flashing yellow warning light. Don't live your life this way. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that everybody might be able to get something out of this talk. That uh, today we might look back on a great day and tomorrow the same, one day at a time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, House and I were just talking about this the other day, is how we picked these sermon topics last year, the end of the year, and how relevant they are for this time that we are going through. Our next sermon series is going to be coming up, and we're like, how did God knew and gave us these sermon series, and it's just crazy. And I was thinking as he was finishing up, standing up here, is during this time of the pandemic, and I, if you guys were all sitting here, <laughs> and I could see hands, and I said, how many at the very beginning in March, everything shut down, and the first probably two weeks, we got a whole boatload of stuff done, Right? We got, we were like, all right, we've got time. We're going to do this and this and this and this. And then the, about the third or fourth week, the emotional toll of being cooped up, of having everything closed down and telling us we're in a pandemic got to us and everything came to a stop because that's what happened to me. I went gung ho. And then I think it was about the third, about the second half of the third week, all of a sudden I couldn't figure out why I was so tired, why I just didn't want to do anything. I was in a bitter mood. I was just not in a good good mood. I was emotional. And some people go, oh, it's because you're a woman. No, it's not because I know men were doing it too. Um, but it was this time of our life that all of us were experiencing. I talked to so many people during that time. They're going, God, we don't know what's going on. Well, I do. It's it was emotional because we were told we couldn't do things. We, our lives as we knew it had stopped. And as much as we got done the first two weeks and it felt good to get stuff done, we couldn't even get ourselves to do anything because of the emotional baggage we were carrying around. And so I know it lasted for a little bit for me and I know for a lot of other people as well, but then you had your good days where you're like, woohoo, I just cleaned out the garage, the entire thing in one day because I am energized. And two days later, you're like, I just can't do anything. I have to sleep. I'm so tired. And I think during this time, we've all had that roller coaster of emotions, and it's okay. We need to, like House said, we need to face them, we need to experience them, and it's okay. But what's not okay is us beating ourselves up for having them. Because I know that's, I tend to do that. I know other people tend to do that. So I know I'm not alone. It's that, okay, we had our pity party. And that's what I tell my friends. I'm having a pity party today. Don't let me have it tomorrow. 
because I don't want to be too much into my pity party. And um, some friends of mine reached out to me. And they're like, are you okay? And I go, I'm just having my pity party today. Leave me alone. And then, and the next day, I was fine. And I was going after um, what I needed to do. I just needed that, that time that God was allowing me to kind of have a little pity party, just to be tired, to be um, emotional about what was going on. We've had so much strife and so much stuff going on that it is going to affect us emotionally and it's okay we just can't like how said we cannot live there and then once we kind of deal with it then we need to go okay how can we make it better how can we face it what can we do and um i'm not a great goal setter i've never have been i know everyone tells you you should and i'm just i've never been i'm trying to be better at that is setting my goals for Sometimes it's just for the day. Start with a day, then start for a week, then start for a month, and then start for the next year. Um, start in baby steps. I know for me that helps. If I do too big a thing, I get overwhelmed and I can't do it. So, again, it's that emotional response because then I get, oh, my gosh, it's too big. I'll never be able to do it. But if I do these little daily goals that will lead to a bigger goal, then that works. At least for me, it does. And I know a lot of other people, it, it does as well. So um, there was one thing. I forget which one it was. That, be a good boss employee with self. Don't be a tyrant. That hit me because I'm not always a good boss to myself. Um, I, I can be a tyrant. Um, I can um, not give myself slack or grace as I would if I had an employee. When I had employees... I gave them a lot of grace. I gave them a lot of slack. I was tough, but I also gave grace. And so I need to be tough on myself, but I also need to give myself grace. Um, I did have a boss once. He worked when I worked for okay when I worked for the Red Cross. I represented an outside company, so I had like three bosses from the outside company that I dealt with besides the Red Cross, and I had like three bosses of the Red Cross I had to deal with as well. So I had a lot of bosses, and they all told me what to do, so it was crazy time. But I had this one boss. He was an executive with the company, and he could literally tell you what a horrible job you were doing and give you a warning that you were going to be fired. Now, that never happened to me, but he could criticize your work, and you left feeling like you were the best employee ever. Because of the way he spoke to you, he spoke to you with respect. He didn't sugarcoat anything. He told you what needed to be improved on, but he didn't beat you up about it. And I always remember Eric for that reason, because I left one time and my numbers had gone down. Now, I, you'd have to know the whole situation because my numbers went up and down all the time because they dealt with seniors and you know why the numbers went down. Um, and so they understood that. But there were things he wanted me to put into place that could maybe help. And so, you know, he had to show me, look, your numbers are going down. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. What are you doing this? Oh, no, I'm not doing that. Should I be doing that? I didn't know. And so I left there, though, feeling like I was one of the best employees he's ever had. Even though I was doing some things wrong and he called me on it. And he wanted me to improve in areas. I still left that meeting going, I'm good. 
I am a good employee. And guess what? With his guidance over the next six months, I was the top person in our group and won a big award at the end of the year because of my performance. And so when we talk to ourselves, be kind. Look at what you're doing wrong, improve on it, but don't beat yourself up. So that's my two cents. I guess I should preach more or something. All right, let's go to um, our announcements. It's always such a strange thing to go to. Hey, did I push a button or did you? All right, so we want to get to know you. So we don't have prayer requests. We want to get to know you, though, on live. So make comments, tell us where you're from and all that stuff. If you have prayers, um, please, I got some emails this week, so that's good. But try to email me by Sunday evening, early Monday morning, because that's when I, I put them out on um, Mondays. But I was sending out prayer requests all week. So, um, But try to get them to me Sunday night or early Monday morning. And it's my first name, Tamara underscore Dorica at, D, at yahoo.com. So um, we've got, I know we usually put that up on the site. So um, get your prayer requests in. Also on our Facebook page, we do have a prayer wall. You can put them there so we could pray for you. So we do want to get to know you and we want to pray for you. If you are part of our in-house church that comes here on Sunday mornings, if you didn't get a letter or an email, that means we don't have your address or your your email address. So please get those to us, get them to house, get them to me, get them to Kim, whoever it is, get them to us so that we can make sure we can communicate with you. Alpha has started. It's this our third week in alpha, second week in alpha. And it's Wednesdays at, Hey, there's my email address. Wednesday evenings at 6 PM. You can contact house at hbhouse at gmail.com to register. It is not too late. It, like we said, it's only the second week, so you can. there's still plenty of time to join. It's a place to ask questions. It's a place to find out about the meaning of life. It's a place to find about who is this Jesus, this Holy Spirit they talk about, and who is this God. And um, it's a fun, I know some people that are in it, and they said it's fantastic, even over Zoom. So contact House if you would like to be a part of that. We're also having teacher trainings on Sundays at 4 p.m. on Zoom. And the topic this week is how to get things started and how to gather people. So if you've ever wanted to be like a small group leader, this is a perfect time for you to join in. It's about getting small groups together, whether it's for a Bible study or for worship or whatever it is. It's how to gather people together and get things started to have a successful group. So if you want to join that, again, go to hbhouse.gmail.com and tell house and he will make sure you have the link for that teacher training. And don't be scared away by teacher training. It's really for anyone that wants to learn how to be a leader, To um, uh, whether it's in church or in your business. It's a great training ground for all of that. So please join us. Okay, tithes and offerings. Thank you guys so much. Your generosity is amazing. We are so blessed to be in this church and to um, continue to thrive. Our church is not surviving. It is thriving within this pandemic, which, thank you, Jesus. Um, in the end of the year, beginning of the year, we were doing some prophetic prayer. And one of the things that um, God told us is that we were limiting ourselves by the wording we were choosing. And we kept calling ourselves a little church. 
And so God really convicted us of saying that. And so now we no longer call us a little church. I, we all catch ourselves sometimes doing that, but we correct it right away. Kim calls us a fun size church, which I love. Um, but we are the church and it doesn't matter the size. It's, we are the church and we are, um, you know, God's chosen people. We are his, um, light on this earth, right? As Christians. And we want to do his work. And so um, when we stopped using Little Church, we started growing. And our ties started coming in better and better. And we've had bigger reach. And so during this pandemic, we have grown. We have 1,530-some members on our Facebook you know, group. And we started with, what, six, 500, 600 people? before pandemic. So um, that's amazing. Before our ties were coming in, but they were sporadic. And now pretty much on every month, there's no problem whatsoever. We haven't had to worry about, um, are we going to be able to pay our bills or anything like that? We're doing well. And that is all because of your um, generosity and your trust in God. Because I know during this time, it's difficult with um, a lot of us not working and um, having to stay at home. And your generosity and your trust that God's going to provide for you is showing. And I, I know that he is blessing your families by you guys doing that. So thank you so much. So if you'd like to tithe, um, you can send it a check to The Well at Surf City, 2721 Delaware Street in Huntington Beach, 92648. You can go online to our website, divedeeptogether.com. You can text give to 714-694-2787. You just type the word in give and then the amount you want to give. And then um, if you want to find out more ways to give, you can go to tinyurl.com slash Malachi310giving. We've got PayPal. We've got our Faith Life app. And all that information is on one page for you guys. So that is it. Um, you guys have a blessed week. And um, may God bless all of you uh, with a new purpose, a new goal. and um, no procrastination, just a new energy to, to do what the Lord has for you to do. How's that? So Lord, just bless each and every person here um, with a new energy to do with, to do what you have, you want them to do. Oh, I'm getting my words mixed up, Lord. Sorry about that. Um, so Lord, just give us all a new energy. Lord, put um, a plan in place for each one of us. Show us that plan. Help us clean out our ears and our mind to hear you. And to hear what that plan is, Lord, and be willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'm going for it, Lord, because you're leading the way. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for your provision, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for each one of us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Be blessed, and we will see you back here next Sunday at 10 a.m. Bye.